0: Ruthless Aggression From 2002 to 2008, World Wrestling Entertainment produced the Ruthless Aggression Era. Ruthless Aggression As a power vacuum formed in the wake of wrestling's biggest boom period, WWE producers and superstars alike worked to reinvigorate their company and recapture success and acclaim. In the process, a string of future Hall of Fame-level talent rose to the top and enjoyed crossover appeal in the public consciousness. We're going to take a trip back in time and travel through this amazing period in WWE history. The matches, the storylines, the whole media and more. Every triumph and every heartbreak. Whether you were watching as it all unfolded, or you're here to learn about this era for the first time, this series will have something for you. This is Ruthless Aggression Relived. Ruthless Aggression! Since our last episode, a lot has happened, so strap yourself in. On Raw, the Hardy Boys almost stole an upset win over Brock Lesnar, until Paul Heyman interfered in the match, giving the Hardys the disqualification win. Heyman challenged the Hardys to a tag team match at Judgment Day, pitting them against Lesnar and Heyman himself. The Hardys accepted nwo ally rick flair revealed kevin nash was not really suspended he was recovering from bicep surgery and was close to returning to the ring for failing to defeat stone cold steve austin at wrestlemania flair fired scott hall in storyline at least this of course papered over his real life dismissal from the company thanks to his involvement in the plane ride from hell flair informed x park and big show that the nwo would have a new member to fill the gap before booking himself in a no-disqualification WWE Championship match against Hollywood Hulk Hogan. As for the match itself, you know the end of Metal Gear Solid 4 where the two old fellas hit one another? Well, it was a bit like that, with much less emotion and much more X-Pac. After X-Pac and Big Show interfered in the match, Bradshaw and Stone Cold showed up to even the score, with Flair turning round into a Stone Cold stunner before eating an atomic leg drop as Hogan defeated him. Tommy Dreamer started being a gross bastard for no discernible reason. William Regal seemingly had his eye on Molly Holly, escorting her up the entrance ramp after she defeated Terry. Trish and Bubba Ray Dudley teamed up against Steven Richards and Jazz with both the WWE Hardcore Championship and WWE Women's Championship on the line in a genuinely brilliant comedy hardcore match. Just Incredible and Crash Holly interfered in the match, bringing a referee of their own to attempt to win the Hardcore belt, but to little avail. Stevie escaped, while Trish shook up a bitch clamp from Jazz and nailed the stratus on her to earn herself the WWE Women's Championship, shortly before she instructed Bubba to get the table, allowing him to put Jazz through it with a Bubba Bomb from the turnbuckle. The Undertaker rose above the actions of Hollywood Hulk Hogan the previous week, accepting the loss of his $40,000 motorbike like a mature adult. By beating Hogan with a tire iron, hog-tying Hogan to his own bike and dragging him around the arena. And in case you were wondering, Hogan didn't use a stunt double for this impressively short stunt. Goldust continued to try and win over Booker T with little luck. For costing him the WWE Championship, Flair put Bradshaw in a handicap match against X-Pac and Big Show. Austin in the Lumberjack match against the newest member of the NWO. Bradshaw fought valiantly and very physically against x pac and Big Show, but couldn't overcome the odds, falling to two consecutive choke slams from Big Show. Austin, meanwhile, entered his Lumberjack match where he learned the identity of the NWO's newest member, Booker T. The announcement seemed to come as a surprise to Booker. However, surrounded by Flair's hand-picked lumberjacks, and with only Goldust as an ally, Booker had little choice but to accept the invitation. Wily as ever, Austin managed to overcome the unfair situation and pick up the victory, only to be assaulted by Arne Anderson halfway up the ramp. Austin was left bloodied and battered by the group effort of X-Pac, Big Show, and Ric Flair. On SmackDown, Edge confronted Triple H over the game's unprovoked sledgehammer shot to him the previous week. Things turned physical, leaving both men wide open for an assault at the hands of Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle, the latter of whom cutting off a lock of Edge's hair. Randy Orton teamed with The Big Valbowski against Hardcore Holly and Lance Storm, with Randy pinning Storm to pick up the win. Randy debuted his new finishing move, the overdrive. Toilet. Tori Wilson celebrated getting her freedom from Tajiri by entering a swimsuit contest because the writers have no imagination, but was bundled away by the jealous Buzzsaw before she could disrobe. As a result, Trey Stratus showed up, WWE Women's Championship in hand, and stripped off to her undies. God, weren't the early 2000s completely mental? Embarrassed by Trish, Stacy demanded a match against her for the Women's Championship, and Vince obliged, insisting Reverend Devon and Deacon Batista be in Stacy's corner in case Bubba showed up to aid Trish. A little person came out of a cupboard and went Eee at Stacy. No, of course I'm not making that up. Gregory Helms tried to get to the bottom of the mystery note left for his alter ego, The Hurricane, finding another note taped to Funaki's back, threatening the superhero. None the wiser, but ultimately undeterred, Hurricane defeated Tajiri in a triple threat match, also featuring Billy Kidman, to pick up the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Appalled at Rico's lost to Rikishi, Vince Bucked the WWE Tag Team Champions Billy and Chuck in a championship match at Judgment Day against Rikishi and the partner of Vince's choosing. Speaking of Vince McMahon, he got inside the head of Hulk Hogan, making clear in no uncertain terms he thought the time of Hulkamania was long past. Vince said he created Hulkamania and he was able to destroy it. Vince then slapped Hogan, and the Hulkster fought him off and dropped an atomic leg drop on him bit of long-term storytelling here, guys. It's just, uh, this one at the back of your minds, yeah? During the outbreak, Rob Van Dam cuckolded a guy. Belt confusion reigned supreme throughout the week, as a number of championships still hadn't been repressed with the new company name. Tajiri took things one step further, entering with the WCW Cruiserweight Championship. Sean Stasiak continued to act like a cunt. Hello, 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 and welcome to Ruthless Aggression Relived. I'm LT Fletcher, and uh, I'm going it alone on this one, yes. uh, It's going to be a shorter episode today. Um, So, yeah, I'm going alone, which is kind of an interesting, unique scenario. Hopefully, you won't tire of hearing my voice by the end of it, but hey, who knows? Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at the May 18th, 2002 edition of WWE Metal, or perhaps WWE Jacked, depending on which version you watched. That's going to sound like a strange thing to say. So we're going to have a little bit of a a a background into what this show is, and why we're covering it today, and why we won't be covering it after today. So of course, the WWE's two big shows are Monday Night Raw... And SmackDown, everybody knows that, everybody with a passing interest in wrestling can tell you that Raw and SmackDown are the WWE's two biggest brands, even to today, in 2022, at time of recording. But WWE is a much bigger brand than that when it comes to television production, and it has so many different arms, really, I guess you could say. Since the 80s, the company has had secondary shows. And in a in a kind of unusual sort of situation, in a way, these shows sort of act as an advert for the larger shows. Now, probably the the best known of them, and certainly one of the longest running, is Sunday Night Heat. And Heat would have a couple of matches, and thanks to the bizarre time-travel nature of pre-recorded pro wrestling, what this effectively meant was these matches were recorded before a Monday Night Raw taping, but would play six days after it, so commentary would refer to things that hadn't happened yet at the time of the recording, if that makes any sense, which it may or may not. Uh, obviously a lot of post-production uh, commentary and editing and what have you to get around uh, any confusion regarding tensors and the like... Uh, So, one of the other shows that WWE did on the weekends was called Shotgun, and it's also better known as Shotgun Saturday Night. And this one was interesting because it was presented in two different ways, uh, based on what time of the day you were watching it. If you were watching it at night, it was a little bit bit grittier, a little bit edgier, if, if that's the right word to use. And Jacked and Metal were the replacements for Shotgun. There was a little bit of controversy with Shotgun. Terry Funk said something that he probably shouldn't have. <laughs> he uh, insinuated something about another wrestler's mother, um, and the network got a little bit cross about that. So Shotgun was not long for this world after that happened. But it was replaced by Metal and Jacked, and this, this is this uh, you know the same kind of thing as Heat. These have been matches that were recorded before a SmackDown taping or a Raw taping, perhaps and they'd be played back on a saturday now how it worked was in america jacked would air at nights and it would be you know the the slightly edgier product and metal would air in the afternoon it was a bit more kid friendly in britain we only ever had metal um presumably because sky probably saw that was a little bit redundant having both shows um when realistically the audience was actually in fact the same here in britain i don't think a distinction was ever particularly made between kid friendly wwe and adult wwe in the same way as it would be to appease advertisers in america for instance uh that's not to say of course that sky didn't have kid friendly edits of these shows famously the saturday morning viewings of smackdown would cut away from things like chair shots. So you'd hear the crack of the chair, but you'd get, you get a shot of the crowd instead of seeing it. So, instead of having a whole different commentary team broadcast and showing the same show twice, with the matches in a different order perhaps, Sky would just edit the shows that way instead. Or overall, the WWE would edit those shows for for Sky. So, we've now got this situation, Then we're at the start of our timeline, and... We've got Raw and Smackdown as the major shows, and on the weekends we've got Heat on Sundays, and then on Saturdays we've got Jacked and we've got Metal. But the weird thing is, Metal kind of feels like an anomaly at this point, because it's still, in terms of its graphics and its presentation, it's still kind of clinging to the old edginess of the Attitude Era a little bit. The Ruthless Aggression era is very much all about, you know, adding a little bit of polish on top of that, a bit of shine. So the sets and things like that look a little bit uh, smarter, a bit nicer to look at. And Metal was kind of looking a little bit old. Uh, Obviously, Raw had just had a brand new set, so that spruced up Heat as well, which has some new graphics uh, to go along with it and, yeah, Metal was looking kind of old. SmackDown recently, uh, the year before, it had a new set as well, but, again, SmackDown being the main show, kind of in a different boat to Metal. So, yeah, it's kind of looking like the dusty old dog at this point. And, you know, obviously we've had the brand splits come into effect, and there have been a few episodes of Metal which had matches taped at Raw, and it's only just these last couple of weeks where the brand split. Uh, has made Metal a Smackdown-exclusive show. So, unfortunately, Metal's also a little bit of a mess at this point. We're only a few weeks in to the brand split, and it's pretty clear that Metal is looking a bit old, a little bit tired. So a new show would be taking its place. This episode we're covering today is, in fact, the final episode of Metal. Um... I say Metal, that's the version I found online, because you won't find this on the WWE Network, you won't find this on Peacock. You do have to rely on hardcore wrestling fans to share a lot of these weekend shows, which is kind of a shame, really. But it is what it is. Now, over the course of its life, Metal and Jacked had loads and loads of different commentators. We've seen Michael Hayes, we've seen Jonathan Coachman, Tom Pritchard, Michael Cole... Al Snow, and tonight, for this final episode, we are joined at Ringside by Kevin Kelly and Mark Lloyd, and I tell you what I think is interesting, and I didn't spot this on the last several episodes that we've done, uh, of course we've got brand new WWE ident at the start of the show, and Metal's logo is not in there, but I'll tell you what is in there, the logo for Velocity, so clearly They had planned this for some time. They obviously knew metal was not going to be sticking around. I wonder how many eagle-eyed fans noticed at the time. Like, how many people would have sort of gone frame by frame? Because the Velocity logo is only on screen for a few moments. But you can see it pretty clearly if you sort of pause on it. So I wonder if anybody at the time spotted that and was going, Oh, what's Velocity? Oh, then again, of course, did uh, did they announce it in advance? Who knows? Americans... Send us an email, ltruthlessaggression at com, and we'll have a little lucky. So, let's have a rundown of the matches then. Obviously, we're going to go match by match, as we usually do on this show. These matches are all pretty short. We've got four matches here today, and they're only about six minutes or so here. The Pro Wrestling Wiki doesn't even list a time for them. Cage Match doesn't list a time for them. So, i I do not have an official time for these matches, but they're all between about five and seven minutes long i'd say so it's not too long to build up a huge epic of a match but it uh it lets the wrestler tell a, a quickie story so again these matches would all have been recorded before that night's edition of smackdown and the purpose of that would be to warm the crowd up and get them sort of you know into into the mood of a the live tv experience so to speak there was a dark match as well which is not included here uh a dark match for those of you who don't know the terminology is a match Not recorded for broadcast purposes. And that match saw Christian defeat Sylvain Grenier, who of course we saw a few episodes back posing as a security guard. And the first match of the night then, on this edition of Metal, and again if you watched on Jacked, the match order may be different so I apologise, but on Metal we're opening up with Albert versus Hugh Morris. Uh, We haven't seen Hugh Morris on our timeline yet. Uh, Bill DeMott, of course, as he'd later be known by his real name, he would go on to be a trainer for the up-and-coming talent, and what's particularly interesting is that Albert would pretty well be the guy that took his job after he left under a cloud, so that's kind of a fun little coincidence. So we've got a big Hoss fight to start things off. Nothing pretty in this match. You're not going to see anything technical between these two bit of trade-off in the early going. Albert, though, nails a great-looking front slam, swings things in his direction. He gets Morris in the corner and slaps him hard with open-handed chops, and then just yells at him to fight back, just full-on roaring in his face. Uh, Morris obliges with chops of his own, and then uh, mounts Albert in the corner with the 10-punch spot. We get a big power slam from Morris as well, which is impressive, because Albert is not a small guy, it's got to be said. Uh, and the two begin fighting a new Morris squashes Albert in the corner, which is quite, you know, it's fun seeing, like, uh, you know, again, Morris, not a small guy, but it, he's smaller than Albert. And it's fun sort of seeing him get, uh, get some licks in on Albert. That's quite cool. Uh, he gets Albert uh, downed and nails an elbow drop for a two. And you don't really expect to see a guy of Bill DeMott's physique leaping off the turnbuckle. Albert, uh, however, returns the favour and squashes Morris in the corner, and then attempts a slingshot splash from the turnbuckle, only to eat nothing but canvas as Morris dodges and rolls out of the way. Hugh climbs the turnbuckle. Uh, unfortunately for him, Albert picks him off in a powerbomb position, but Morris escapes, only to eat a bicycle kick, as Albert picks up the three and the win. Uh, quickie little match, but a good showing from these two. Like, I'm going to be honest, like I saw... Saw so this one on the old match card here, and I was like, this this is not going to be great. And like I say, nothing technical, nothing pretty, but a good little hoss fight. And, you know, I do appreciate a hoss fight, as I'm sure some of you have noticed uh, throughout the course of this podcast. Say what you want about Bill DeMort, um, the erstwhile humorist. But honestly, he puts on a pretty good show in here. He's a pretty impressive babyface in this one. He's looking in great physical shape, too. I gotta say it's a little weird that Albert's been kind of demoted or demoted rather, perhaps, to uh the weekend shows already, because he'd had that big storyline turning on Scotty Tuhati fighting Rikishi, and now he's just immediately floundering again and that's something that Albert's going kind to of struggle with for a while, but he's you know he's going to kind of become a bit of a mid-card contender on SmackDown, so don't you worry, all you uh, Albert fans out there. Not a bad little opener, this. I quite enjoy this. Now, of course, if you're watching the full-length, unedited broadcast of these shows, there are recap segments as well of that week's edition of SmackDown. I'm not going to be covering those here because, well, I've already covered them in the... Uh, since our last episode segment at the top of the show. Uh, I don't want to be too redundant, and honestly, it just takes up your time, and I know you have a lot of things on your plate, you busy, busy wrestling fans. There are about 900 million hours of wrestling every week to watch. So, second match of the evening, then. We've got Godfather versus Funaki. Godfather uh, is now fully in a heel persona, of course. Um, It's entirely odd, though, that this transformation has happened... Wholly on the weekend shows, like he's not been on SmackDown once since turning heel, and he didn't turn heel on SmackDown. So I think they kind of know they're playing to a small audience here. Uh, Godfather blindsides Funaki before the match, and then as the match begins, he manhandles the absolute shit out of him. It's got to be said. Uh, Funaki fights back though, trips Godfather against the ropes, drop kicks him in the mug, and then as he sort of Draped over the apron, his head sticking out over the floor, Funaki leaps over the ropes and drops an elbow on Godfather, which is a really cool little spot. Uh, Funaki dives at Godfather with a crossbody press, but the Godfather powers out and delivers a massive power slam, which firmly puts things back in his corner. Uh, A string of elbow drops, then keeps them there. Uh, and as a receipt for earlier, Godfather drapes Funaki over the apron and just clubs away at him uh, on the chest from ringside. there. Back in the ring then, Godfather body slams Funaki, goes for a leg drop, Funaki evades and Godfather lands really hard right on the coccyx it looked like. Uh, Funaki fights back, we get a little hope spot here from him, slides between Godfather's legs and nails a great looking enziguri, but all of his momentum is cut off. Godfather picks up Funaki for a gut wrench backbreaker, and gets the three and the win. Really quick match, this one felt like. You know, both men kind of get in in a couple of spots here and there. But I think at this point, if you're watching a Funaki match, you know he's not going to win. So this was really just to help build Godfather up as a heel, really, which, you know mission accomplished and all that although i'm going to be honest a win over funaki probably doesn't actually do that much for godfather it's certainly not going to make me think oh hey he beat funaki maybe he'll challenge for the intercontinental championship <laughs> you know, or, or you know equivalent but no it, it's it's weird like it filled a bit of time on the card you've got a, a solid showing from two capable hands but ultimately a bit of a nothing match this one Up next, then, we have something a little bit more exciting. We have Chavo Guerrero versus Billy Kidman. Um, And this is kind of interesting because Velocity, which we will be covering in the first episode of Velocity, uh, Velocity kind of takes the role of being the replacement for Jacked and Metal, but more than that... It also becomes kind of a second home for the Cruiserweights. It's not just a mid-card show. You're going to get a lot of Cruiserweight action on Velocity. Because they being quite correctly realised, the Cruiserweights are very good at waking the crowd up when you want to get them into things as you're starting your TV taping. So if you give them an exciting Cruiserweight match, they're all hyped up and ready for the start of Smackdown once you've filming Velocity, which is pretty clever. And that's pretty much what we get here. We had a really fun little match between Chavo and Kidman uh, both men sort of jostle for position in the opening moments and there's a lot of quick momentum switching in this one both of them trade off moves and trading off momentum Kidman goes a bit more aerial which I think is always really impressive because the funny like the funny thing about Billy Kidman in my opinion you, you you may disagree but to me I don't know whether it's his build or his look he doesn't ever particularly look like a cruiserweight to me like i know he is of course but he looks like a more sort of average kind of sized wrestler so i think that's kind of playing a bit of you know a bit of an optical illusion on your brain almost because you think well kidman's a regular sized guy and then he hits the top rope and starts flying all over the place and you're you're even more impressed than you would be seeing a small guy do these things, it's it's really cool. It, uh, it, I think it could just be the look, the general presentation of Kidman, to be honest. But anyway, Charvo decides he's had enough of that bullshit, tosses Kidman out of the ring and he lands really hard on the steel steps on the way to the floor, just wallops into the apron, lands on the steps, hits the floor, it's just boom, 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 and they even pick up on it on commentary saying how ugly the fall was. So nasty landing for Kidman. He's okay, fortunately, but yeah, could have been... Could have been a lot worse if he'd have been slightly to the side. Uh, Chavo gets Kidman back in the ring, picks up a two, and he's firmly in control of the match at this point. He starts healing it up, choking Kidman on the bottom foot with his rope. Chavo goes for a gory bomb. Kidman rolls through with a sunset flip and picks up a two, which is pretty neat. Chavo goes for the gory bomb again and nails it this time. gets a very close two count, uh, which is kind of a shame to see the gory bomb sort of bitched out almost. I don't know what the the correct word is, but it's it's a shame that it makes uh it makes the move look kinda weak. Um but you know, Chavo's got time to rehabilitate the Goribom, don't worry. Uh, Chavo hangs Kidman up on the rope with a guillotine, then climbs the turnbuckle, but Kidman intercepts Chavo's dive with a drop kick, and we get another little double-down sequence. Kidman smashes Chavo with a flying forearm, and then sends him approximately 758 billion feet in the air with a back body drop. Well, give or take. it look bloody impressive, i got to say, and again, you've got two kind of small guys here, so you don't think Chavo would... Necessarily be able to throw a guy that hybrid, of course, it's the aerial agility and athleticism of Kidman, both men working together in the true pro wrestling spirit to create a moment that looks amazing. And it's only a couple of seconds, this one back body drop, and it looks fantastic. Uh, Chavo then follows this up with a much less impressive body slam and gets a two off of that, probably the most basic move you could learn in wrestling, and he gets a two off it, but oh well. Uh, Chavo gets Kidman on the top turnbuckle. And then hurls it off with a really cool looking hurricane rana, and he gets another two. And then Chavo hits a standing tornado DDT, and I say standing, I mean fucking outstanding, because it was gorgeous. Chavo starts getting a little bit frustrated at this point, pummels away at Kidman in the corner, and then attempts a powerbomb. Fool, fucking foolish, stupid idiot, fool! You cannot powerbomb Billy Kidman. Billy Kidman, of course, counters into a facebuster. Picks up the three. Great fucking match. If you haven't watched this episode, honestly, go out of your way because this is well worth your time. It's a good one, guys. Just two masters of the art of cruiserweight wrestling putting on a show. And again, it's only a short one, it's only about six or seven minutes long. And it's really bloody good. This is the kind of stuff that we were getting week in and week out. ...on Smackdown once the Cruiserweight division really starts hotting up. So I'm really excited for the the coming episodes over the course of 2002-2003... ...where that division is really given the time. I'm really looking forward to talking about that with you guys. Ladies and gentlemen... ...it is time for our main event of the evening. Now, you may have thought that this show is just a weekend show. It's not significant. It's not special. Well, guess what, buckos? They've put a feud-ender in the main event! Yes, it is. Test and Christian versus Farouk and Mark Henry. And that seems like a nice way to cap off the final episode of Metal. You know, having a match that actually means something. It's a shame this wasn't done on SmackDown. It's a shame that it wasn't done on pay-per-view. Because I feel like the storyline had been built enough for that to happen. But Test has kind of moved on to more important things after this. So I'll let it slide. Because Test rules. So Farouk and Christian start things off, but uh, Henry wants the tag, and Farouk lets him in. Christian (laughs) tries to tag in Test, but Test sort of pretends not to see, because he doesn't want any part of Mark Henry, and he's just sort of stood fixing his bootlaces, which is great. Uh, Christian goes for a test of strength, which to me seems ill-advised when you're up against the world's strongest man, who throws him out of the ring with a one-handed Irish whip, and Christian goes absolutely soaring through the air. Just hurtles through it. Henry is throwing Christian around like he's a toy. It's a joyous, wonderful thing to watch a man throw a smaller man around. It's one of the simple pleasures that pro wrestling can give to all of us. Uh, Christian finally tags in Test, and Henry throws Test about a bit as well, which is quite cool. Uh, Henry goes for a splash, but Test blocks it with his knees. He's got the wherewithal. Uh, Christian then hangs Henry on the top rope behind the ref's back, which allows Tess to clothesline Mark Henry, and Farouk, a little bit cross about this, he starts to protest and gets in the ring, and the referee cuts him off, and while the two of them are arguing, of course, the Canadians are able to double-team Henry behind the ref's back. Boo-hiss, what a pair of baddies. Uh, Test gets Henry in the corner and elbows the absolute shit out of him before choking him with his foot because he's fucking excellent and I will hear no arguments to the contrary. Test then follows in with a huge charging clothesline, then a second one. Uh, but of course, the rule of threes means that a third attempt results in Test getting shoulder tackled to the floor. Farouk then tags in, cleans house. Ducks a big boot from Tess, which is quite impressive, actually, considering the angle that it was thrown at and that, you know how low Farouk had to go. Farouk nails a spinebuster and picks up a two, but Christian dives in to break it up. Henry hits the ring, tosses Christian out, and Farouk attempts a clothesline from hell, actually, a kind of a homage to Bradshaw. Uh, but unfortunately, as he bounces towards the ropes, he finds his leg hooked by the Godfather's cane. And as Farouk turns to see what's going on, Godfather hits him in the head with the cane. So Fruit stumbles backwards into a big boot from Test. Who pins him? One, two, three. That's right, Test wins. The last main event of Metal. Test rules. And that's how the final episode of Metal ended, with truly the greatest hoss of all time going over. I won't hear any arguments to the contrary. So yes, this is a very short little show, guys, which is why I've decided to do this one all on its own. We've covered four matches in under 20 minutes, so there's not a lot going on. And there's no storyline progression beyond what we've discussed happened in the match. Basically, Godfather Bad is uh, pretty much what we're getting at here. So obviously this gives Farouk a new direction to go in. As I said, Test will be going in a different direction. So this storyline is... uh done and done, which is again kind of a shame because I would have liked to have seen Test and Henry have a proper pay-per-view blow-off, but it wasn't to be on this particular occasion, but hey better things coming Started in 2015 the Bar God cast was started by three mates looking to watch and critique every Wrestlemania in order. As Andy, Ian and Lewis explore the history of marquee WWE pay-per-views they also have to navigate the problematic business practices of one Vince McMahon and as a result, they now watch and review pay-per-views from other promotions. So join us as we desperately cling on to any semblance of love for professional wrestling on the wonderfully intermittent wrestling podcast, The Bar Godcast. As we say farewell to Metal and Jacked, let's delve now into the profile segment of the show. Today's star in the spotlight has a lot of overlap with last episodes, as they've been best friends, tag team partners, and even played brothers for a few years there. Yes, stepping out of the shadows of Edge. At last, he's on his own. It's... It's Christian! Born on the 30th of November 1973, William Jason Riso, Jay to his friends, was born in Kitchener, Ontario in Canada. Riso would spend his childhood moving around Ontario with his family and developing a love for the great Canadian pastime of ice hockey and that other great passion of many Canadians, professional wrestling. It would be in Orangeville, where Jay would attend the Orangeville District Secondary School, where he'd meet Adam Copeland, who'd become his lifelong best friend, better known to you and I as Edge. In September 1994, Jay joined Ron Hutchinson's wrestling school. He'd come to work under the name Christian Cage, naming himself after popular American actors Christian Slater and Nicolas Cage. The newly renamed Christian would work the Canadian independence scene, and come 1997, would be part of a stable of wrestlers known as Thug Life. As well as Christian, the stable would include Zach Wild, the wrestler against whom Christian had his first match, Joe E. Legend, and Sexton Hardcastle, again, better known to you and I as Edge. The group also included Rhino Richards, who would remain good friends with Edge and Christian in the WWE, after he dropped the Richards part of his name to wrestle as Rhino, of course. Christian and the erstwhile Hardcastle soon realised they had natural chemistry as a tag team, owing in no small part to their close friendship. The duo worked under the names High Impact and The Suicide Blondes, though their partnership was yet to hit its true heights under neither of these names. In singles competition, Christian won the East Coast Wrestling Association Heavyweight Championship and held it for over a year. It would be a good word put in for him by Copeland... That would provide Christian's career with a kickstart, however, as Edge spoke with praise about his tag-team partner and friend, and as a result, was invited with Edge to Dory Funk Jr.'s Funkin' Conservatory training camp in 1998. Completing his training under Funk, Christian was signed to a World Wrestling Federation contract, just as Copeland had been. Upon their WWF televised debuts, Riso would drop the Cage surname from his character and wrestle simply as Christian. Copeland, meanwhile, had been renamed Edge. The two were connected to one another right from the start, as Christian would align himself with Gangrel, and try to woo Edge over to join him and the Vampire Warrior in the trio that later became known as the Brood. Christian enjoyed immediate success in his in-ring campaigns, as his first broadcast match for the WWF saw him challenge Takamichi Noku for the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship, a match and title that Christian won. By this point, Christian and Edge were effectively a package deal. The tag team were proving their worth to the company in tag matches, and it soon became readily apparent that they'd both outgrown Gangrel. After a series of sideways moves, which saw the brood align with and then distance themselves from The Undertaker's Ministry of Darkness, as well as Edge and Christian splitting away from Gangrel entirely as the latter formed the new brood with Matt and Jeff Hardy, their matches with the likes of the Hardy Boys, Too Cool, the Holly Cousins, and the Acolytes clearly earmarked them as strong performers that could work with the breadth of the WWF tag team division. The Hardys in particular had been excellent opponents for the Canadian duo, as both teams were young and hungry to prove themselves, doing so in the Terry Invitational Tournament, supposedly competing for the managerial services of Terry Runnels, though both teams came out smelling of roses from the incredible ladder match confrontation they had in the closing match of the Best of Five series. Having battled one another repeatedly in the tournament series, all four men had gained an understanding of one another, which would help them put on a series of incredible matches in the future. Not least among these incredible matches would be the triple-threat tag-team ladder match at WrestleMania 2000, one of the very few highlights of an underwhelming WrestleMania. Here, Edge and Christian and the Hardys would be joined by Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley, the Dudley boys. Suddenly, all the pieces of the puzzle clicked into place, and the three most iconic tag-teams of the Attitude Era would be pitted against one another, time and again. Edge and Christian would come out on top with the championships at WrestleMania 2000, but all three teams would trade wins and titles back and forth in incredible encounters, including the first ever TLC match that's Tables, Ladders and Chairs, oh my, at SummerSlam 2000, and its sequel at WrestleMania 17. Around this time, Edge and Christian switched up their characters. Rather than spooky vampiric goths, they became, well jackasses. A pair of arrogant, cool dudes, the two would routinely irritate the hell out of their opponents and crowds in attendance. The most iconic creation of the two would be the five-second pose, in which they would stand still in an amusing position for five seconds, for the benefit of those with flash photography, though usually insulting the fans while doing so. Known backstage as Team Wreck, Rhino, Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle, that's R-E-C-K, were close friends who loved working together, and there'd be plenty of that as the WWF built towards Edge's babyface turn. Kurt would defeat Christian at the King of the Ring pay-per-view in 2001 as part of the King of the Ring tournament, and Edge would defeat Rhino in the other semi-final match. Edge would go on to win the tournament outright, defeating Kurt in the same night. The jealous Christian, in storyline, of course, would turn his back on Edge, who was gaining popularity with the WWF fans, thanks in part to his siding against the Alliance during the Invasion storyline. As a result, the former tag team partners feuded over the Intercontinental Championship for several months. Eventually splitting away from Edge, Christian would win the WWF European Championship from Bradshaw and hold it until 2002, where he'd lose it to Diamond Dallas Page in January. At the following month's No Way Out event, Christian teamed with Lance Storm and entered a tag-team turmoil match, hoping to win a WWF Tag Team Championship shot at WrestleMania 18. However, the match would be won by the APA. Christian's character would begin to grow frustrated with his luck, and he'd throw comedic, embarrassing, childish crybaby tantrums in the ring, flinging himself about comically on the mat when things didn't go his way. This caught the attention of DDP, who tried to help Christian manage his temper. However, Christian tired of Paige, and challenged him for the European Championship at WrestleMania 18. Unlucky for Christian, he lost to Paige, and threw a tantrum on a WrestleMania scale in front of millions of fans worldwide. It wasn't all bad for Christian, however, as he defeated Mighty Molly that same night to win the WWF Hardcore Championship. Though unfortunately only to be blindsided by Maven for the same belt a little while later. Which brings us to the start of our timeline. While he will forever be known as one half of one of the most influential and important tag teams of all time, Christian would become known as one of the best wrestling talents in the world after his character stepped out of Edge of Shadow. While it sometimes felt like Christian really had to remind the WWE that he was a top-level in-ring talent, it was his work in the Ruthless Aggression era, that really cemented him as a credible singles wrestler, and one who is still active and respected to this day. Before we get out of here, I want to thank new patron backing at the £4 aggressive tier, Clippy605. Thank you very much for your patronage, Clippy. It really means a lot to me. Clippy, and everyone else backing at the £4 tier, will get access to bonus episodes exclusive to the Patreon, which include a look at the WWE's magazines at the time, and a look at the... WWF Forcible Entry music album. Upcoming bonus episodes are going to include a couple of reviews. Yes, Ruthless Aggression Relived is going to the movies as we review The Scorpion King and WWF Diva's Tropical Pleasure. One of those two helped solidify an incredible Hollywood career. I'll leave it to you to work out which. If you want to back us on Patreon, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash Relived. Tiers start at just £1, and every backer receives access to the Discord server and a sneak peek at the schedule. In addition, you'll remember I said last time £7 backers will be getting a new perk for their patronage, as I didn't feel like you guys were getting enough at that level. I can now announce what that secondary perk is. In addition to being able to contribute questions to Q&A episodes... Backers at the £7 Undisputed tier will be granted access to special bonus, exclusive watch-along video episodes, and audio counterparts too, of course, if you prefer to stick it on your podcast. Now, these watch-along episodes are going to cover wrestling events from before our timeline, so anything up to and including WrestleMania 18, basically. And what is more, backers at this tier will be able to decide what gets covered. The first watch-along episode is going to be Insurrection 2000, as chosen by our first £7 backer at the Undisputed tier, John Blood. And with any luck, that should be with you guys by next week. And that'll pretty well wrap things up, not just for Jacked and Metal, but for us here today. So, uh, sorry if the shorter solo format has been a little bit jarring, because obviously I've had different special guests on for every episode other than this one. There'll be another one in this format coming up for the first episode of Velocity, and one later in the year for an episode of Heat. But, on the whole, it's going to be me and a co-host. I mean, someone's going to stop me from talking absolute drivel, don't they? Until next time you can find us on Twitter at R. A. Relived, or you can catch me on Twitter at Lt Dangerous. You can email the show via LTRuthlessAggression at gmail dot com and you can always leave a lovely rating and review on iTunes, all of which helps the show. I've been getting loads of lovely general feedback, guys. I'll not say the you know outright reviews, you know, lots of pats on the back and plaudits and handshakes and what have you. Just loads of kind words, and I really, truly appreciate it. So thank you all. You know, every message that we get really, really, it means the world to me. It keeps me sane. It keeps me honest. Uh, I appreciate every single bit of it. It's your continued support that has helped the show pick up over 9,000 downloads so far, which is a mind-boggling amount to me. Our next episode is going to be Judgment Day 2002, from the night after this final edition of Metal aired, and I'm going to be joined for that by my new Legacy Inc. comrade, Slip. After all the stuff that's happened on Raw and Smackdown leading up to it, you will not want to miss this one, I can tell you. Until then, though, guys, I've been LT Fletcher, thanking you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time.